Well, good morning, Bridge. How y'all doing this morning? Good? Good. I'm Pastor Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridge, and uh, I'm excited that you are with us this morning. We have officially entered the Christmas season. Can I say that now? Is it, is it okay? Is it appropriate time? See, I know there's a huge debate on when the Christmas season actually starts. See, for some people, it's like, well, you can't really do anything related to Christmas until after Thanksgiving. Then for other, okay. Then for other people, we got that, we got that camp in the house. And then you got, for other people, you can't do anything uh, related to Christmas until December 1st, right? You have that group of people. And then for some of y'all, it's like, well, I start celebrating Christmas the day after Labor Day, so, and there's something wrong with you. But anyhow, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> start celebrating Christmas the day after Labor Day. So that is, uh, we are in the Christmas season. It is just six days away. Can you believe it? Just six days away. Like, my, where did time go? My, is flying by. Time is flying by. And um, how many of you guys are done with your Christmas shopping? Anybody? Okay. How many of you guys hate the people with their hands raised right now? I know, I'm just <laughs> How many of you guys have a gift that you are excited to give this Christmas? Yeah? I, I have a gift I'm excited to give. It's not live streamed. I could, I could tell you what Chrissy's gift is because she's not here. Can you guys keep a secret? You guys keep a, keep a secret? Okay. No? Okay, well then I can't share it if I, everybody's saying no. I got Christy an awesome gift that she, I'm sure she's going to post pictures of on Facebook. So you all can, you go, you all, if you know Christy, she's my wife, you can feel free to kind of like, she hates surprises. So you kind of feel, you could kind of say like, I know Pastor Rob got you a gift, you know, that sort of idea. Feel free to like antagonize her a little bit. Uh, who's seen you on here? Hers or mine? Come on. So, no. Yeah, no, she... She she does not like surprises, and so I actually yeah never mind. The other the other other week, Paul's like, "Why are you in the church attic?" And I was like, "I have to hide Christie's gift." So, <laughs> but anywho, at Christmas time we talk a lot about gifts, right? And we talk a lot about giving and receiving gifts. And this morning we're going to talk about about we're going to talk all about the gift of hope that we have at Christmas. The gift of hope. The gift of Christmas, the hope of Christmas. And this morning, we're going to be in one of the most famous prophecies uh, that we read around this time of year about the birth of Jesus in Isaiah. So if you would open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah, we're going to be in chapter 9 this morning. And uh, this, this prophecy written in Isaiah 9 actually starts back in like Isaiah 7. And so I'm going to read one verse from Isaiah 7, and then we're going to go ahead and skip ahead to Isaiah 9 together. We're going to be in Isaiah 9, verse 2. And in chapter 7, it says this. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then in chapter 9, picking up, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. As people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be, will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever and ever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray that as we look at this prophecy given thousands of years ago. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and God, give us eyes to see how this applies to us today. Thank you for the hope that we have in your son. And here I pray, amen. So the first thing, like, I think oftentimes, like, we don't read this prophecy usually except for, like, around Christmas time, right? Because it foretells the the birth of Jesus. And, And so, just to clear, clear the waters, it wasn't written at Christmas time, okay? It wasn't written in, at Christmas time. 
It, it was spoken into a real troublesome, dire situation. See, when we're looking at Isaiah 9, the year was about 730 B.C., and King Ahaz uh, was the king of Jerusalem at the time. And he was super nervous because the Assyrian army was forming an attack and planning an attack on Jerusalem. And he was trying to figure out the best way for them to defend themselves. And so God sends a prophet Isaiah and tells him, don't worry, I'm going to protect you. Which should be reassuring, right? Okay, God spoke to me and said, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect, you're going to protect Jerusalem. But it wasn't to King Ahaz. So God said to Ahaz through, through Isaiah, he said, don't worry, Ahaz. God will give you a miraculous, a miraculous sign to prove that he will protect you if you trust him. Now you'd think that Ahaz would be excited about getting a sign from God, right? Not just that God's going to protect him, but now he's going to get a sign that God is going to protect them. But instead he's like, no, Ahaz says, no, don't do that. Because if you give me a sign, then I'll have to obey God. Sounds familiar, right? Sometimes. So Isaiah says, you don't want a sign because you'll have to, you'll be obligated to obey. Well, God's going to give you one anyhow. And here it is in Isaiah seven fourteen, And it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. And his name will be called Emmanuel. Now you ask, maybe, how does a prophecy from 700 years before the birth of the Messiah answer questions to a problem that we have today? Well, this is the same question that Isaiah was at, I mean, Ahaz was asking, only in reverse order. He was going, how is your solution that's going to happen in the future going to help me in my problem today? Right? He's like, you're telling me about something that's going to happen, but... Like, there's an army on the other side of the the stone wall. Like, do you understand that? Like, it's an imminent threat. And sometimes we feel like this at Christmas. I feel like this at Christmas, just to be honest with you. Like, sometimes I feel like this, excuse me, Jesus in a manger, peace on earth, goodwill to men, yada, yada, yada. How does that affect me today and what I'm walking through? in the midst of my situation, in the midst of my real problems. Maybe this morning you're hearing you say, I don't have a job. My marriage is falling apart. I have chronic pain. And while these stories about Jesus, they're all heartwarming and and feel good, they don't do anything for me, particularly today. It's kind of like the Hallmark movie version of life, right? How many of you people are Hallmark movie lovers? Okay, a few of you. We'll pray for you after the end of the service. Because that's not real life. That's not real. They're all the same. They hired 25 actors, and they had four plots, and they just recorded it and gave it a different name. It's the same thing. Do you feel this way sometimes? These stories are nice, but they don't deal with any of my problems. And that was the same question that they would have been asking in Ahaz days. we got a real army sitting outside the walls who want to destroy us, What does the promise of a future Messiah have to do with my situation now? And the answer is found in who Jesus is. See, and at at Christmas, we have a hope about who Jesus is, right? And and, and Isaiah answers the question for Ahaz. And he he says, well, you know what? It may not do anything for you now, but if you believe in what is to come, it's going to give you strength for today. Does that make sense? So if you believe in what is to come, it's going to give you strength for today. And first, Isaiah says that Jesus is wonderful counselor. We're going to go to verse 6 in Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 9. He says, he's wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. And he's going to be your prince of peace, Ahaz. Those apply for us today in the midst of our problems, in the midst of our situation. So let's look at the first one here. The first, the first hope that we have at Christmas, is that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He's our wonderful counselor. And I know that most of you don't care about this, but for a few of these, I'm going to give you a little bit of Hebrew training, okay? So, wonderful translates Pele. 
And counselor translates, I'll get this right, Yoites. Yoites. And Pele, wonderful, means beyond understanding. And I love that phrase because it's beyond whatever we can even imagine. It's like there's not words to describe the counsel that our wonderful counselor is going to give. He's wonderful, glorious, awesomer than any awesome of awesome. If you got that. More awesome than awesomer. And then Yo Weitz translates counselor. But it's a step beyond like a counselor, right? It is someone who advises or instructs or guides. But here's the key. From a position of authority. Right? Sometimes our counsel comes from peers. Sometimes it comes from those maybe underneath us. But how often do we submit to a counsel from someone who has authority in our lives? See, don't think of a counselor like a friend who you call late at night and you talk about all your problems to, and then they say, yeah, you know what, that person really does stink. I'm going to defund them as well. That's not the type of counselor that our wonderful counselor is. Wonderful counselor is someone whom you can bring your worst problems to, and he shows you the way out. See, one day, Isaiah says, a son will be born, a child will be given to you, and his name will be your wonderful counselor, Pele Yowites. And I love how Jesus is our wonderful counselor because he's not just a wonderful counselor that can't identify with where we're at in today's world, right? Oftentimes we think about like, oh, but he's God and he's like wonderful counselor, like he doesn't understand what I'm walking through. But the writer in Hebrews says this, he says, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See, he's not just a king who rules over us. He's someone who has lived among us, who has walked through everything that we have walked through. There's nothing that you experience that he hasn't already experienced. He gives us counsel beyond what we can humanly imagine, yet he walked this earth and experienced the same things that you and I have experienced. He's been where you are. For me, I need counsel from somebody who has walked where I've been, right? Like we don't usually like seek counsel about a job, but we seek counsel from somebody who's in a completely different profession than when we're in, right? Like I'm not going to get a mentor for engineering from somebody who is an auto mechanic, they might have some good pointers, but they're not going to know exactly where I'm going to build the spaceship. Right, Andy? <laughs> like, they're not going to understand that. We get counsel from somebody who has been where we have been. So how do we get that counsel? James shows us that. He says, he says if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. See, my favorite part of this verse is the word without reproach. Right? Without reproach. Because... Because oftentimes I need wisdom, but I feel like the reason why I need wisdom or I need the wonderful counselor to speak into my life is because I've screwed up. Like I've put myself in that situation where I needed wisdom because of my own stupidity or my own. Sometimes I look at it and I go, when I pray to God, hey, God, would you give me wisdom? And I think God is sometimes, in my view, I feel like God looks at me and goes, ah, look, it's God, it's, it's Rob again. He looks at the angels and goes, it's Rob again. He's asking for help. But look what he did. He was being really stupid when he did that. Like, you know, he shouldn't have done that thing. And he's really messed up this time. And look, he's coming to me for help again. But the words without reproach means that he doesn't look at us that way. God promises to never look at us that way. He gives us wisdom without judging us or criticizing us for being in the predicament where we're at. Does that make sense? And that's because Jesus has already taken all of my condemnation. So when I, so when I mess up in my marriage and I say something that I shouldn't say to my wife and, and I, 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 need, I need help to get out of that hole that I dug, or I've caused pain in a relationship and, and I've messed up and there's conflict, if I sincerely say to God, give me wisdom for how to follow you here in this situation, he will give it. The wisdom I'm asking for is not wisdom that I deserve, right? Or not wisdom that I can have, wisdom that I deserve, but the wisdom that comes from putting my hope in the wonderful counselor, Jesus Christ. 
I love what the Hebrews verse, when we go back to the Hebrews verse, goes on to say. It says, it says that he promises me that when I'm in pain or I'm tempted, Jesus listens sympathetically because there's no suffering or pain or confusion that I go through that he himself has not already gone through. And he can guide me with expert advice because he's a wonderful counselor. His advice is beyond whatever we can ever even humanly comprehend. And some of you right now, if you're honest in your, in your, where you're at this morning, maybe you're here and you're saying, I'm in a real time of need. The good news is there's a wonderful counselor this morning who is here to help. And what I love about the wonderful counselor is it means that when I read this Hebrews verse, it means that Jesus came, the wonderful counselor came for people with problems. Every miracle that Jesus did started with a problem. Think about it. Throughout the New Testament, it started with a problem. And Jesus' miracles weren't magic tricks. His miracles engaged every area of brokenness, hunger, poverty, and even death. And the good news is that if you have a problem this morning, you're a candidate for the wonderful counselor to move on your behalf if you put your hope in him. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He came for people with problems. He said that he came for the health. He didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. He came not to reward the righteous, but to save the sinner. And what is most wonderful about the way, I, I look at this and I think what is most wonderful about the way that our counselor, our wonderful counselor, moves on our behalf is not the way that he fixes his problem, fixes our problems, but his presence that is with us through our problems. Does that make sense? Sometimes you, the way that God helps us in our problems is simply by allowing us to see how wonderful he truly is. He doesn't always immediately take away our problems, but, we, but he reveals to us his promise that he is weaving all things together for our good in our lives to, according to his wonderful way and that his wonderful presence will never leave us even in the, our worst days, even in the midst of our worst problems, in the midst of our worst situation. And that wonderful presence is more valuable than any solution to any of our problems. I think that oftentimes we come to church as, as believers or non-believers and we, we come to church and we're looking at our lives and we're going, can God make my life better? Can God help my family? Can God fix my marriage? Can a relationship with God really just focus my career? The answer is yes. God can help you with your problems, but he gives you something far greater than the answer to your problems. He gives you himself. As, his, as a wonderful counselor. Life's greatest discovery is knowing him, knowing that he loves you and he promises to be ever-present in your life. And that is too wonderful, as the word in the Greek means, for words to even understand or describe. That he doesn't take away your problems, but completely changes how you go through them. So this morning, I don't know what you're walking through in this Chris, Christmas season. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you're what situation or guidance or, 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 or problem that you're walking through. But I know that when you put your hope in a wonderful counselor, he is walking with you and his presence will guide you. This morning, is your hope in the wonderful counselor? The second piece of who Jesus is that Isaiah describes the King Ahaz is that he is mighty God. So he's a wonderful counselor, and he's our mighty God. And I look at this and I go, that's a pretty bold name for, for a baby, right? Like, imagine if you got a birth announcement, right, from friends, and there's a charming picture of this little boy, probably looks like Zeb. And um, anyhow, and, and there's details of his birth, and you read, born December 6, 2021, 8 pounds, 3 ounces, 20 inches, and his name, not, not David, not Perry, not Paul, not Matt, but Mighty God. <laughs> Pretty bold name, right? See, oftentimes in the Old Testament, people are given names that describes what God will do through them or do through that child. See, in Isaiah, 
See, Isaiah's name, for example, means the Lord has brought salvation. That's what Isaiah means. And if you look at the prophet of Isaiah, you look at what he prophesied about. He prophesied about the coming salvation that we would find in Jesus Christ. He prophesied about the birth of Jesus and Jesus' life. The name says something about what God will do or who God is. And so here it is, the child's name, Mighty God. So the mighty, uh, mighty here is the translation of the Hebrew word, which is defined as strength, power, hero, and warrior. I love, I love that. Like that's a lot of, that's a lot in one word. Like, think about it. The Hebrew word is gibor, if you ever want to know. So if you want to joke with somebody and say, hey, you're a gibor, you're actually calling them a really good name. So they're mighty, they're powerful. You're a hero, but even though it sounds pretty bad. But you're a gibor. So Isaiah, Isaiah tells us that Jesus is El Gabor, the God of strength, the God of power, God our hero, God our warrior. Do you need strength in your life? Do you need a hero to deliver you? Do you need a warrior to help you fight and win your battles? Jesus is your man because he is mighty God. See, Paul says that he is the deity of God, born as a human. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. See, he was mighty God before he was even mighty God before his birth. John 1, 3 says this. He says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made. Nothing was made that has been made. And in in Colossians it goes on to say, and it says, And all things were created by him and for him, and in him all things hold together. He was mighty God before he was even born. In the New Testament, he was mighty God by by demonstrating God's power over nature, over disease, over demons, over sin, over death. Throughout his life, Christ revealed his divine power and his divine might in ways that are undeniable and validate his claim to be God. As mighty God, he demonstrated to the Jewish believers in the New Testament that he was the Messiah that the prophets foretold hundreds of years before. And today, he is mighty God who works on our behalf. See, I think that oftentimes we forget that our abilities, our gifts, our talents were created by him. Like we forget about that. Our human minds can't even comprehend what he is capable of. In our culture, we depend, I believe that we depend too much on our own ability, on our own skill sets, on our own power. And it's when we can recognize that we can do nothing on our own, it's only then that mighty God has the ability to navigate our lives, help us navigate our lives each and every day. It's then that our dependence must shift from our own way of from our own way to depending on him for our strength, our power, to be our hero, to be our warrior. If we were to look back through scripture, we see example after example of mighty God moving on the behalf of believers who put their of people who put their hope in him. See, sometimes it took them trying on their own to realize they are weak without him. And I love what Paul, 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 Paul writes about this in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He says, he, said, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. In insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, I don't think we often I don't think we often understand or experience mighty God in our lives because we don't recognize how weak we are without our hope being grounded in Him. He is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. Or even ask, according to his power that is work in, at work in us, Paul says in Ephesians. And many of you guys know Kathy LaCourt. She attends our church. She's a first service attender. And um, I, I, Kathy understands the power of mighty God, right? 
Kathy uses this phrase whenever she's faced with a circumstance or a problem or, you know, a few, a few months ago she was going in for surgery and she's faced with all these difficult things or even when she's encouraging somebody else who's walking through a difficult time. She, she uses this phrase. She says, God's got it. God's got this. God's got this. It doesn't matter what we go through. Mighty God has got this. His power is available to each of us, when we recognize and admit that our own admit our own weakness and put our hope in Jesus, the mighty God. So this morning, no matter what you're walking through, do you need strength? Do you need power? Do you need a hero to come and rescue you from wherever you're walking through this morning? We have a mighty God who is able to fight on your behalf and will fight on your behalf when you put your hope in him. Do you trust that God's got it? I love that. I love that. Do you trust that God's got it? Is your hope in mighty God? So he's our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. Number three is he's our everlasting father. And I think about this and it's like, I look at it from the concept of King Ahaz and it's like, you know, wonderful counselor? Okay. I could use some wisdom. Like, I'm getting ready to go into battle. I I can't wait for that wisdom piece to get here. Mighty God, I surely need a hero. We definitely need somebody with power and strength to come and fight on our behalf. Everlasting Father? How's that going to help me win the battle? Like, I don't know that I need Dad. Like, and some of us, like, he might be looking at his dad and going, my dad looks like a toothpick. He's not really a warrior, <laughs> you know. Like, that might be what King Ahaz is saying. But he says, everlasting father. And I think the key phrase here is everlasting father. It's lasting forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The, the Hebrew word there is like, continue, 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 continue. Forever and ever and ever and ever. And I would suggest, in our situation, in our life, that if there's ever anything that we need a, that in any situation that we need a savior, in any relationship that we need redeemed in our culture and in our world, that we need any relationship that we need to be restored, it is we need an everlasting father. Some of you may have had great dads. Maybe your memories of your dad are awesome. Some of you, though, you didn't have such a great relationship with your dad. And some of your greatest pain in your life comes from that relationship. So maybe he was never there. Maybe he passed away. Maybe he was never, maybe he was physically present, but not really there because he was working or whatever. Maybe you just never felt any connection to him. Maybe there was abuse. For whatever reason, there's a lot of pain that is brought up when you think about a dad. And when I say Jesus wants to be your everlasting father, you go, yeah, I don't need that. Right? Like, I don't need that in my life. Because I've already had that, and it wasn't good. But Jesus is our everlasting Father. An everlasting Father that is proud of you. Right? Isaiah says that we as God's children are precious to God. And precious is a strong word. Precious is like cherish, but it's also like value. Does that make sense? So like a precious stone, or a precious metal, like Think about that. We are cherished. We are valued by God. He tells us in Isaiah that, that our everlasting Father pays more attention to us than a new, a, a new mother pays attention to her infant child. That's what he says. It says in Isaiah forty nine fifteen. it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Think about that. And I think like it's funny that Isaiah, to illustrate God's delight in us, had, couldn't continue with the everlasting father thing. He had to go back and relate to a mother, right? Because mothers are much more attentive to their children, especially their newborn children, than, than let's be real, us dads are. Like, not to throw the men underneath the bus, but, you know, Christy t- will come to me and say, I have an eight-month-old, right? And Christy will come to me, and she sees all the details. Hey, did you see, you know, the freckle on the back of his ear? And I'm like, yeah, noticed that three weeks ago. Where you been? <laughs> no, I didn't notice the freckle on the back of his ear. I was more worried about getting the 
the dirt off his face, like, or the leftover food, like, didn't notice that. But she notices, you know, did you notice the dry skin on his neck? I'm not really looking at his neck. I'm, like, interacting with him and playing with him. Like, yeah, like it doesn't, doesn't mean anything to me. But to her, it's a big deal. God knows us better and watches over us better, more attentively, more closely than a loving mother. See, Jesus even, told, Jesus even told us in the Gospel of Matthew that our Heavenly Father knows each hair on our head. To go on and talk more about how He's our everlasting Father. It, it says in Zephaniah 3.17, He says, The Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He, he will quiet you by His love. And He will exalt over you with loud singing. Now, I know some pretty good dads, right? Like I know some really good dads. But I don't know many that walk around the grocery store aisle singing and exalting their children in song. Now, maybe you do that, and more power to you. But, I mean, I couldn't imagine walking down the grocery store aisle. You are such a great kid, you know, like singing around. And, like, we're not in a musical constantly. Our life is not about that. But some people may choose to do that, and that's okay. But Zephaniah says, the Lord sings over you with loud singing. Our everlasting Father loves you. David says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I think one of the most important ones is that our everlasting Father will never leave us. He says in Hebrews 13.5, He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He says, never, ever, never, 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 ever leave you. Even if you had a bad day, even if you disappoint, even if you fail, I'm never leaving you. And the other fact about that is, is even if you had a good dad, at some point, people disappoint us. People fail us. Doesn't mean they have to be a bad person. Our friends will fail us. Our family members will fail us. Our coworkers will fail us. But our everlasting Father will never fail us. He never disappoints. He never forsakes. He never leaves. And guess what? It's even better. He never dies. Like, think about that. Someone passes away in our lives. Doesn't mean it has to be a dad. Dads leave a bigger hole than some people. But there's a big gap in our lives. He's the father your heart has always craved. He's the father you've been searching for. And when you realize that, that he, when you realize that he can heal you from the wounds of disappointments left by an earthly father, and in many cases even help you learn to forgive and love again, he is your everlasting father. Other people may fail us, at one point or another, but Jesus, our everlasting Father, will never fail us. Is your hope in an everlasting Father? He's our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting Father. And lastly this morning, He is our Prince of Peace. Our hope is found in a Prince of Peace. And and I know the concept is Jesus as Prince sometimes for some of us, um, some people, not some of some people, um, may initially sound offensive to you. Prince, right? Like, I don't want anything to be a prince or rule over me. Because, you know, our culture, our world says that you are king of your life, right? You are the ruler of your life. But the reality is, is that there's only one capable counselor. There's only one mighty God. There's only one everlasting father. And there's only one king, the prince of peace. And our human problem has always been a kingship and lordship problem. As humans, we hate to submit. We hate to admit that we're wrong sometimes. And the fact is, if we look at the world around us, we're pretty lousy as rulers. Like, we're pretty lousy as kings, as rulers, not just of this world, but also of our own lives. Just look at it. This world's a mess. We've desired world peace for as long as I've been alive, and some of you are older than I, and you're going to say, we've desired world peace since before then, and we haven't been able to deliver it. And it seems to get worse every year. It's good news that Jesus is Prince. 
The word prince here is, means ruler, master, lord. And I'm not talking about some figure that sits around on a throne dressed in some weird garb that never, doesn't do anything for anybody. But I'm talking about a prince with real power. And in fact, he is mighty God, right? That we just talked about. God, by calling Jesus Prince of Peace, is putting him in the place and rule of authority where he belongs. See, I think oftentimes we try to fill that, fill that void. We try to fill that place in our lives, and we do a terrible job at it. As the prince and the ruler, Jesus has the authority to speak, and it happens. We often try to be the prince of peace in our own life. See, I know that, I know that when you look at me, I look like I, I, I was designed to be a tire, right? Because I'm round, and when I lean forwards, I roll, and so therefore, that's what, that's what you get, right? But if I went out and tried to be a tire on your car this morning, I would fail miserably, I would probably die because your car would probably crush me because it's not what I was designed to be. My creator didn't design me to be a tire. In the same way, you weren't created to be the prince of peace of your life. It'll kill you if you try to be the prince of peace in your life. You were created to put your hope in the one person who can actually bring true peace, and that is the prince of peace, Jesus Christ. See, we can try to find peace in different areas. We think about if we could just be in that relationship or just have that promotion or just get that one Christmas gift this year, that will make me happy. That will bring peace. And what happens is one of two things. One, we either don't, we don't get it and we mis- we're miserable and, and, and we're miserable and we blame it because we didn't get that one thing. Or, or the second thing is we get it and it doesn't actually bring us satisfaction that we hope for and it's empty. And this morning, the, the solution is putting our hope in the Prince of Peace. In Christ, there is no hoping in vain. Some have even stopped, some of you may have even stopped hoping because you've been disappointed over and over and over again. And so your solution, you're trying to be prince of your peace of your life, you say, I'm not going to hope again. And if we're honest this morning, during the Christmas time, that makes us even more cynical. On, this, on the surface, we look at it and we say, everything's good. It's all about cheer and happiness. But on the inside, we're hurting, we're broken. We look around and we say, how could anybody enjoy a season like this? And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're broke. Maybe you have a family member who's fighting through an illness. Maybe you can't have a family that you desire. Maybe you lost someone. Can I tell you that I've been there. I've been broke financially. I've been, and I've walked through a Christmas season time and time again with a dad who was fighting cancer. I've lost both my parents. I don't know what exactly your situation is, but I can identify how this season can be painful and how you don't want to hope again. And can I encourage you to stop putting your hope in the things of the past, in the mere words of humans. Don't put your hope in what man can do for you, but put your hope in the Prince of Peace. See, I think what is, mo- what is awesome about this word Prince of Peace, we talked about the Prince part of the Prince of Peace name, but what about the Peace Peace? The peace part of the Prince of Peace name. <laughs> the Prince of Peace in Isaiah, it means the Prince of Shalom. See, the Hebrew word shalom isn't, isn't peace. Like, you know, many times we think about, oh, if I could just have peace. And that means like stillness, quiet, sitting next to a stream, a babbling brook, you know, that sort of idea. Like the sun at just the right, the right angle, temperature. Like that's some, in some of our minds, that's what peace is. But shalom means complete wholeness. Things as they should be. See, peace is not the absence of conflict or pain, but it's the presence of something better in its place. So the lack of conflict or lack of pain is not true shalom. Just because there's no conflict or pain doesn't mean you are complete or whole. Shalom was used, shalom, the word shalom was used to describe city walls. In, in, in the Old Testament. And they were walls that were stone. And it meant that if a wall was shalom, it means that they had no cracks or gaps in them. So people in the city could live at peace because they had full protection and security. The wall around them had no cracks or gaps or vulnerabilities. So when something cracks in our life, when there's a gap, we need shalom. We need peace. We need the Prince of Peace. He is the only one who can restore and make complete. We can't obtain that completeness on our own. 
It's only through him that he is able to do that. See, on my own, I'm full of cracks. I'm full of gaps in my life. But because of the Prince of Peace in my life, he fills those gaps and he makes me complete and whole. Real quick, personal story. I used to hate Christmas time, right? Like, just vulnerability. Like, I used to hate Christmas. And it was because my mom's favorite holiday was Christmas. Like, she loved Christmas. Like, to the point of, like, might have been a little bit of an issue. Like, an addiction. Like, she probably had an addiction. So when my mom passed away, Christmas became, like, the worst season for me. And, and, and I mean, I have a whole storage shed in West Virginia full of Christmas. If you need Christmas decorations, hit me up. I'll make you a really good deal on them. You can just drive down to West Virginia and pick them up. And uh, so, when my mom passed away, it became so... Christmas became a very painful season. And because I put my own, I put my hope in my own ability to heal from something that I wasn't meant to heal on my own from. Does that make sense? I put my hope in my own ability to make Christmas as good as mom would or to make, or to make it something that she would make it be. And honestly, I just failed at it. So what I do, I just didn't decorate for Christmas. For like years. I didn't decorate for Christmas. And I would be in a bad mood the whole time we were celebrating Christmas. Even when, even when I worked at churches, like we'd be decorating, you know, putting up the Christmas stage stuff. And I'm like, bah humbug. You know, I'm like all mad and not, you know, didn't, not short with people and, and things like that. And people around me was like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, there's not a serious problem. See, I didn't just need someone to fix my mess. I needed someone to come and fix me, to be my shalom, to fix the crack and fix the gap that that was in my life. I needed, I didn't need to turn over a new leaf or start a new season in my life. I needed the power of a new life. And see, when I realized that that what I needed was something I couldn't provide on my own, nothing I could buy, nothing I could decorate, nothing I could do would bring me that peace. When I realized that the Prince of Peace came to do what only I could do, what I couldn't do for myself, to shalom me, might be the word, (laughs) to restore and complete me and bring me peace. Is Christmas hard sometimes? Yes, but I know that the Prince of Peace is in control of my life, my thoughts, and my decisions. See, the greatest gift that we have The greatest gift of hope of Christmas is the fact that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the arrival of Shalom. He made peace for the cracks and gaps left between us and God to perform a relationship between us and him. He alone can restore and make complete what our sin, our brokenness, our decisions have, have, have separated us from God. He filled the cracks and gaps in our life by absorbing the cracks and gaps into himself. He was so committed to restoring wholeness to us that when we put our hope in him, he became broken in our place. He took the brokenness that we have and he offers us his wholeness and his peace. See, this morning we will have no other peace apart from Jesus Christ. He is the only righteous one that can restore it. We live in a weary world, right? We talked about a weary world rejoices. And the only thrill of hope that we have is whenever we can surrender to the only peace of peace. Prince of peace. You can't fill the gaps on your own. You can't find peace on anything in anything that this world may bring. Not in our jobs, not in material things, not in finances, not in relationships. Not in anyone or anything other than Jesus. Maybe this morning during this Christmas season you feel broken, you feel worn out, you feel weighted down. When we try to be the Prince of Peace on our own, we try to find peace on our own, we will always fail. But Jesus is the only one that can mend the gap between us and him. Romans 5.1 says this as the worship team comes. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, where is your hope? 
Where is your hope this morning? Is your hope in the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father? Is it in the Prince of Peace? This morning, we're going to close a little bit differently. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to just take a few moments this morning and reflect on your own life and your own heart this morning. See, I, I don't know where each of you are today. I don't know what you're walking through in this, in this Christmas season. Maybe on the outside, you look like things are all put together and everything's fine. But on the inside, you're full of hopelessness, loss. Maybe you feel pain. You're hurt. Maybe this morning you're here and you say, you know what? I'm thriving during this Christmas season. That's great because guess what? Jesus came to be a promise as a promise, Messiah. No matter where you're at, whether you're thriving or whether you feel separation, whether you're broken or you're growing, just as God promised, just as God made this promise to King Ahaz in Isaiah 9, he extends the same promise to us. But it really boils down to, to the first thing it boils down to is that we have to deal with our problems at the root. And the root of a lot of our world's problems, a lot of the problems in our own life is sin. Sin is what creates those gaps and cracks in our relationship with God. Sin is what separates us from God. But God provided a solution to our sin problem, a way that we might experience true shalom or experience wholeness completeness and that is through the gift of his son Jesus Christ he was born like we celebrate during this Christmas season that none should perish but that all should have everlasting life so this morning church my first reflection piece would be is how is your relationship with, with God this morning do you have a relationship with God this morning Are there cracks? Are there gaps in that relationship? And then the second question this morning or or challenge is, where is your hope? Is your hope in Jesus, the wonderful counselor, who has experienced all the same things we experience, who can offer us counsel beyond what we can imagine? Is your hope in mighty God, who is all-powerful, who will fight on our behalf, who will fight in our place? Do you trust that God himself is working on your behalf? Is your hope an everlasting father? A father who cares for us and loves his children, a father that will never fail us when everyone around us, when other people around us will fail us and walk out. Our everlasting father is always there. Is your hope in Jesus as our everlasting father? And then lastly, is your hope in the Prince of Peace? Have you given Jesus the rightful place of authority in your life so that you can experience shalom, so that you can experience Restoration that you can experience healing, that you can experience mending of those gaps and cracks in your life. And maybe this morning you need to evaluate where your hope lies in each of these. Maybe it's one of these. But don't let this Christmas season go by carrying the same problems, the same weight, the same issues that you've walked out Christmas season with year after year after year. This year, let Jesus be the gift of hope that you need. Maybe it's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus as our our gift of hope. This morning, I pray that you would be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. Would you let us recognize that? this week that we can put our hope in you because you identify with us that you 
you've walked where we've walked. God, you've been where we've been. God, you've dealt with the same problems that we deal with. God, that we can put our hope in you because you are mighty. God, that you are fight, you are willing to fight on our behalf. You are our warrior, our hero. God, that we can put our hope in you because you are a father that knows every detail about us. God, and that you love us. You love us more than, 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 than any earthly human being ever could. God, and that you'll never fail us. God, that we would put our hope in you because you are Prince of Peace. You're the only one who can rule our lives. God, you're the only one who can heal the gaps and cracks that, that, that we make in our own life because of bad decisions, because of, because of sin, Lord. God, because of, um, because of the world that we live in, God, you're able to heal us and provide true shalom into our lives. you can make us into who you called us to be. We thank you for coming to this earth to be born as a baby and provide a new way of life. Provide for us new life. And we thank you for that this morning. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. This morning uh, I'm just going to ask you if you if you would like prayer, you can come down to the altar. Our prayer team members or our advisory board will be here. We'd love to pray with you. If you're here and would like to talk about a relationship with Jesus, I would love to discuss that with you. Just come down to the front. I'll be down here seated. And as the band plays, if if you would like to stay, you can stay. If you need to go, if you would like to leave, you may do that. I just pray that this week as you walk through this Christmas season and we walk up to Christmas, that we don't lose sight of where our true hope lies. Sometimes our world can be so busy. We can be so inundated by everything else that's going around that we lose focus of the real reason for why we celebrate Christmas. And that is because God sent us hope through his only son, Jesus Christ. Have a great week.